This podcast is supported with advertising by Alcon. Did you miss us at AAO 2023 in San Francisco? Listen to learn more. You're listening to CRST, the podcast from Bryn Mawr Communications. I'm Jim Katz, and welcome to a special edition of CRST, the podcast, where we're going to take a look at a few innovations and in technology on the horizon. I'm joined by Dr. Stephen Lin and Mina Vandal, and I actually quickly like you to introduce yourself. I'll start off with myself. I practice cataract and I'm cornea specialist in refractive surgery in the Chicago area, and I'm really interested in speaking to each of you tonight about some of your experiences, as well as leading up to um, our big Academy of Ophthalmology meeting. So, Stephen, if you start off and just quickly introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jim. My name is Stephen Lynn. And I'm actually a glaucoma specialist, but for the last few years, I've really trimmed down my practice to focus exclusively on cataract and refractive surgery. I'm in private practice at Central Valley Eye Medical Group in Stockton, California. Hey guys, so great to be here with both of you. So my name is uh, uh, Zermina Vendal, and I founded a practice in Austin, Texas about 15 years ago. Uh, we are sort of right at the intersection of premium cataract surgery combined with dry eye. And then uh, my other passion is glaucoma. I'm a fellowship trained glaucoma surgeon. So lots of um, patients who frequently fit all three of those bills, and that's really uh, the most exciting place for me for me to do practicing. So let's start off by talking about some innovations in surgical planning software. I'm very excited about this. One of the concerns many doctors have is that adopting any new technology or software has the potential to affect efficiency in the clinic and in the OR. But, but good surgical planning software is really intended to do the opposite, to make our lives easier by automating certain parts of the process. Let me start off with with um, Stephen Lynn and, and tell us about your experience using these types of devices with planning software. That's right, Jim. Uh, my practice has had the privilege of being a beta test site for Alcon Smart Cataract application. Smart Cataract is a cloud-based app that essentially links data systems, including biometry, with all the equipment we commonly use in the OR, including our intraoperative aberrometer, our surgical microscope and its digital marking system, and also our femtosecond laser. So with this system, everything is done online, and this starts with surgical planning. When I meet a patient for a consult, our, technician, our technicians first capture biometric measurements from the patient. And then when I'm in the exam lane, I can pull this data from the cloud onto a computer screen and have a discussion with the patient. The software has a little picture of the patient's eye, and from here, I'll typically start a discussion about lens options, including presbyopia, correcting lenses, ATIOLs, and we can review astigmatism and its management, which, you know, as we know, is crucial in delivering great refractive outcomes. There are a whole bunch of drop-down menus in the software. I can choose from a vast array of IOLs as well as IOL calculation formulas, including post-LASIK formulas that we're having to use more often. I can plan arcuate incisions using some of the built-in nomograms. And for patients with high astigmatism, I can combine torques with arcuate incisions 
And the software will show me instantly what the expected remaining refraction is for any given IOL. So we no longer have a need for online calculators because everything is sort of built into the system. And that saves a ton of time for our staff as well as our surgeons. So on surgery day, all the data that we preloaded from the cloud comes to our OR instruments. And transcription errors are virtually impossible because all the biometry data, such as case, axial length, ACD, they're transferred directly from the biometer to our devices. So there's actually no step where there's any human inter intervention required to put uh, data into the system, and there's no chance of accidentally changing the data. You know, most of us tend to be control freaks in the OR, and I've been known to double and even triple check what my OR staff would plug into Aura, the interoperative aberometer that we use. And even later, we got USB sticks to transfer some of this data. We found issues with unreadable sticks or they'd get lost in transit from an outlying office to the OR. And this would really add a lot of delay to our surgical schedule. And now we just don't have that issue. So this has really saved a lot of time. It's eliminated errors. Just like with EHR, we have nothing on paper anymore. There are no more charts that get lost. And that has been a big time saver. And since it's cloud-based, you know, I can review plans from anywhere with just an internet connection. And it makes it very easy to make changes on the fly. Let me ask you a couple of questions about this. It sounds fascinating to me. The data is coming directly from the biometer. I take it that's an Argos biometer. And that's correct. which gives us very accurate axial length and uh, keratometry and actually a lot more than that. So using this device, it's transferred digitally and there's no transcription that needs to be done, like you mentioned. What about if we're using or want to use any other forms of keratometry? Do you just not do those anymore? Or do you just look at those on the side? Or is there any input to those types, that type of information in the system? So additional measurements, uh, topography, Pentacam, other measurements we might commonly use, uh, are going to be able to be added into the system, but the the beta version we have currently doesn't allow for that. But there is planning for the software to incorporate other measurements that we would commonly ask for. Great point. This sounds so fascinating to me. This is really what I think all of us have been waiting for because, as you mentioned, we spend so much time. We're somewhat obsessed and neurotic about it, but we want to do it and we have to do it perfectly every time. So we do double and triple check these things. And if there's no transcription issues and the data gets piped right through the system to the OR, it sounds like it's just a seamless system. Another question I have is, and you mentioned already, that's a beta testing for the system, but you have so much experience in it. And that is when you actually choose the IOLs, do you have choices of IOLs that are put in there already, or what kind of selection of interocular lenses do you have? So there's a vast library of IOLs that you can choose from. And you know most of us have our certain favorites. We have our kind of go-to workhorse lens. I'm sure we all have a Torque that we use. We have um, diffractive uh, multifocal IOLs. So all of those are kind of preloaded in those drop-down menus that I mentioned. 
So I can just click on, you know, if I want to do monofocal lenses, I'll get all the monofocal lenses. If I click on Toric, it'll show me the Toric version of every lens we have, including multifocals. So, um, you know, the, the, the library they have is pretty endless, but I think most people are going to put in their top 10 favorite lenses and have them readily available. You know, Jim, when, when some of us had um, when some of us had the opportunity to look at, uh, you know, this in, during innovation and, you know, R&D phase, I think the most exciting thing was what Stephen hit the nail on the head. And that's the, the operator error reduction, you know, and the truth of the matter is, is nowadays our all of our biometers are so good that there's, in fact, these secondary reasons, right, why we may actually consider to go with one versus another. And if it means that we have interconnectivity and cloud-based as a potential, um, it really drives us towards maybe thinking of something like the Argos simply to make the rest of it so much better. Um, the, the, the reduction of the errors, the ability for all the surgical counselors to be so universal despite or regardless their level of experience, right? And, and, and just being able to train and, and talk to the, the patients all so similarly it just makes everything so uniform, it seems. Yeah, you know, when we, we have, we've had this for about two years now. And when our staff first started training with this, it was really easy for them to jump into and get, get comfortable with it. And now some of my staff will actually talk with patients before I get to meet them. And sometimes they'll say, hey, you know, our, our data shows that, you know, you really would be better off with a toric lens because all everything's out there. And it says this is, you know, your recommended lens. So our tech staff can start to promote some of these products that we would normally do. And that discussion's already been initiated. So um, talking about cataract surgery, talking about outcomes has been um, just enhanced with all the software now. And, and patients love it. They love seeing this stuff right in front of their eyes. So we have it in the exam room and I can show, you know, all the different IOLs that we have, all the different formulas we have. And yes, Mrs. Jones, you've had LASIK before. So these are taken off the table and it's really um, made having this discussion uh, quicker, and it's also been uh, been more enjoyable too. And lastly, for those of us who like to analyze outcomes, the system is going to have some more robust tools for analysis and optimization coming out very soon. It just sounds amazing because, again, you're talking about efficiencies before we even get to the OR. You're talking about consistent messaging. You're talking about better patient counseling, potentially better outcomes by closing that loop in improving what our results are. Again, we've been looking for this type of system for, for years, and I think we're going to be jumping on this type of system once it's uh, out there for all of us to use. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. You know, sometimes it just seems like innovation can be a little overwhelming, but this is the one piece of tech that just sort of pulls many of our advances together into one very intuitive platform. So thanks for letting me share a little bit about that. If, if we're talking about cataract surgery, it's only natural. We, we take a look at, you know, recent and pending advancements in IOL technology. Any, any comments on, on pipeline products or types of products, whether it's brand or not branded, but types of different styles of lenses you are recently using or started using? I'll pipe in with with 
with those patients of ours that have uh, some limitations, right? And, and, and the, the, the easy patient with the perfect retina and, you know, no other eye disease becomes, you know, a home run or a no-brainer for so many of us. But the reality is somewhere in the middle where we're dealing in, on any given day, certainly in our practice, patients who've had RK, patients who suffer from severe dry eye, patients who have glaucoma. And that's where this big question mark is a lot of times, Jim, of like, what do we use for those patients? And so I will say that some of the diamonds in the rough for us have been um, eye wells that have really expanded the toolbox for us for that. And so when the whole, you know, revolution took off of the non-diffractive eye well and its ability to do or help mitigate presbyopia, that was huge for us. So, uh, you know, the Vividi is an example of a lens that we've just done really well with because we can now offer it to people who just never had an option before. And they were going to be stuck with, despite active lifestyle, despite the fact that they also felt like they deserved to see their computer monitor, they, you know, weren't going to be able to because they had mild uh, glaucoma or a very fine or mild epiretinal membrane. And that's the kind of lens that's been really nice in our practice and become quite functional, actually, as the go-to lens for when uh, a standard multifocal may not be an option. So that's one that I really like. That's a great way to put it. That lens has really changed, to your point, the, the patient population that we can offer these lenses to. It's much more forgiving. There are absolute limits on these lens technologies, but that extended depth of focus range, I completely agree with you, again, is more forgiving, less side effects that patients have with them. So patients are pleased that we can offer these types of lenses and we don't have to restrict them so much for those patients that, like you said, just have the pristine corneas and the pristine retinas. I think that's been a great advancement. And, and near vision is so relative. I mean, we have to understand where the patient starts from. And uh, the, the the desire on our end to deliver perfection is that, gosh, if I can't get them to see the absolute smallest, then then why are we even dabbling in presbyopic correction at all? And we have to remember that what's the alternative? You know, that patient with mild glaucoma was going to have to wear a 250 reader to see even their computer. And so I feel like they're very thankful. Um, maybe they're not getting, you know, as small uh, near vision or uh, as small print that they can see up close as they might have with a, a standard diffractive IOL type technology, but they're still very thankful. I think this really highlights uh, how important it is to have that discussion with the patient because, you know, they're not all one size fits all. And, you know, you'll have a, a discussion with a grandmother who says, hey, I really want to be able to do my crafts and knit and see everything up close. And of course, you'll have other patients who say, hey, I'm very active. You know, having halos at nighttime would just drive me crazy. So, you know, it's great that we have some more options here. And, um, you know, one lens that, you know, I think has gotten a lot of buzz lately, and I have to admit, I was a little bit late jumping onto the bandwagon, is the light adjustable lens. I was a little bit skeptical of it at first. I just, I couldn't imagine spending more chair time with patients and taking time to do adjustments on multiple visits. And, and I also worried about whether patients would find it too much of an inconvenience to wear UV protective goggles. But, you know, after after experience with this, I have to say this is a phenomenal lens. I was 
finally sold on it when I was sitting at Asperis one year. There's one talk I always catch. It's it's fantastic. It's Warren Hill's talk on biometry. And he always says the holy grail of cataract surgery is getting 80% of your patients within half a diopter of your intended target. And if you go through this massive checklist and you do everything just right, you might hit that 80%. And, and I'm sitting here and one of the panelists at the end says, oh, by the way, with the light adjustable lens, we routinely hit 90 plus percent. And it just kind of dawned on me that, you know, if you can fix everything on the back end, you know, you, it, it forgives a whole bunch of biometry sins, so to speak. And it's just been a great lens. I love it in LASIK patients. I love it in RK patients who, you know, they want that premium outcome. But, uh, you know, there's, there's always some uncertainty in those post-refractive eyes. And, you know, there are no guarantees in medicine. But I, I've, I've been known to say to some patients, this is about as close to a guarantee as I can offer you something. And I love the fact that we can also achieve some extended depth of focus in these lenses as well, how too. About, um, how about monovision, Stephen? That's certainly, you know, we're always going to have patients for quite a while, I think, that are so used to 20 plus years wearing their contacts in monovision. And so to try to talk that patient out of monovision, which has been so satisfying to them and try to get them in for some reason, a multifocal binocular vision, it's just not listening to the patient, you know? And so that's a place where this lens has been very gratifying. The fact that the patient can really set their near eye almost where they want it. And so we definitely find in our practice that that in a monovision patient, this lens is, is, is a great choice. As well as it's a blend of vision. It's not just that pure monovision that both of you are alluding to. It's that increased depth of focus that we get, at least in, in one eye. And so patients enjoy that. And the fact that you can adjust it to the point that they're satisfied with it. As a refractive surgeon, that side of me always, I try to set such expectations. So we meet the demands of the patients and we've always done that, you know, we, how we set that bar and, and we really want to exceed expectations for patients. And with this lens, it's so much easier, but they really get to try it out over a period of time. And then we can adjust past that. It's almost like a insurance policy for them that we will get it right independent of what their healing is. But it takes pieces of, of these other lenses we've been talking about, extended depth of focus lenses. And we still have to set expectations for all these patients. It has been quite an improvement for the refractive, post-refractive surgery patients. I will say that. You, you mentioned that, Stephen. I completely agree with you about that. We talked about different types of intraocular lenses any other new trends that you want to speak about? I, I mean, approaches, how we, you both mentioned about how much we're adding, and you both are glaucoma specialists. I'm a anterior segment specialist, really. And how much I even think about glaucoma now, especially when I'm doing MIGS procedure, whether it's combined with cataract surgery or, or standalone, but mostly for me, combined surgery. Any comments about surgical approaches to glaucoma, new data, how this is becoming an opportunity for, for anterior segments, surgeons like myself to manage glaucoma. Yeah. I mean, I mean, gosh, could I have ever imagined sitting at Mass Eye Near, you know, <laughs> 18 years ago that 
I would be in the middle of a, of a glaucoma revolution, you know, uh, at this point. And that's really what it's felt like that we now at our fingertips have more approaches to treat glaucoma more safely than we've ever had before. And really at the end of the day, it does the biggest favor to the glaucoma patient, doesn't it? Because there's no bottleneck anymore. There's no bottleneck of get to the glaucoma, uh, fellowship trained glaucoma person because the only thing you have is a tube or a trap. And then therefore your vision becomes no longer important. We're saving your nerve and whether you get to see 2020 with cataract surgery is irrelevant. You know, that's what the narrative used to be. And now as a result of quick, safe, technologically sophisticated, you know, minimally invasive glaucoma surgery, these patients have more opportunity and they also have better access to care because I think any glaucoma specialist will tell you that, that it's not really only our job uh, to treat these patients. If we had it our way, every comprehensive anterosegment surgeon that was doing cataract surgery would treat the glaucoma at the same time because the patients deserve it. And now there's just so much data out, right? That it's, it behooves us. We can no longer ignore it. So, you know, let's talk about the Horizon study, for example. I mean, pivotal, pivotal in what it was able to show that MIGS can, um, you know, mitigate the number of drops a patient is going to be on in their lifetime. If they were, to, if they were to get, you know, something like the Hydra stand at the time of cataract surgery, it can, um, in fact, even change the rate at which their visual field progresses. And so that was the the, the most recent uh, part of the data that came out with Horizon just this year. And so leading into AAO, I just think it places MIGS in a in a pivotal place more than ever before to really have us have the stage that any one of us that are approaching cataracts or adrenal glaucoma patient should always and always offer the MIGS. Uh, and so it, it just widens uh, the access for any glaucoma person to go to any one of us and for us to be able to say, I can still offer you a very quick outpatient, safe surgery with minimal or no bleeding that can be managed very easily, that can be co-managed very easily with your provider simply because of MIG. So, you know, obviously I'm very passionate about, about the topic uh, that MIGs should be in everybody's hands. Um, as far as the devices, that's another great thing. The same way that we have so many choices with IOLs, it's fantastic to have so many choices with MIGs because each surgeon figures out with an IOL what works best in their hands, right? And so that's the way it should be with MIGs. Um, whether we want you know, whether we tend to lean towards a stent or something we're implanting, we have those choices. If we want to lean towards unroofing schlems in a goniotomy type fashion, we have those choices. And then finally, something where we're dilating the entire system, i.e. a canaloplasty type of surgery, we have those choices. And really, I think the anterior segment surgeon should dabble in all of them and really decide what works best for them in combination with their cataract surgery. Uh, and really uh, offer at the time of surgery to every glaucoma patient uh, because the data is just, it, it, it's, it's, it can't be ignored. I'm wondering if, if you're incorporating MIGS yourself, Jim, at this point as an anterior segment surgeon uh, for your patients. I, I am. I do a fair amount. So 
essentially anyone with open angle glaucoma that fits in the criteria during cataract surgery, mild and moderate glaucoma, I'm, I'm performing one, if not two MIGS procedures at that time. And, and I've really gravitated to this for the reasons you've said. Patients are better off for it. They're off meds for a longer period of time. The data, as you express, shows in, um, not as much loss uh, over time with visual fields. But I'm a proponent for it as an anterior segment surgeon. I have been for years. What do you think about the fact that you know the majority of, of surgeons are cataract or anterior segment surgeons, not glaucoma surgeons like yourselves? What would you recommend to surgeons who don't do a lot of these? Like I'll even do these occasionally for standalone, but most anterior segment surgeons don't. So what would you propose to them to get people started? I still see some hesitancy with my colleagues to, to starting this. And I think it's so straightforward for me to do right. these now that I've been doing it for years. My number one piece of advice is, is you can no longer afford to ignore the fact that it is it should be part of your standard of care now. And it's not a matter of, should I do it? It's the matter of which one should I do? So what I like is the majority of the companies that are responsible for these devices are very proactive in training. Every single um, ophthalmology conference I've gone to this year, for example, AAO included, has opportunities. So I've taught the MIGS uh, 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 course, lecture and lab at... AAO for you know three years now, along with Steve Sarkissian and, and an entire group. Uh, and so I would say to any anterior segment surgeon to be very proactive. Uh, this year uh, taught MIGS at Women Ophthalmology. Alcon just started a Glaucoma Fellows Institute uh, to start training. So there's a lot of buzz right now in industry where companies are wanting to be proactive, basically because the data supports it, right? To to really help docs to learn how. And I think the MIGS course at AO is a great place to start. Um, and I also think that it's a good idea to dip your toe with whichever one you feel comfortable, but at some point to get adept at all three. So, you know, whether it's stents like there's the iStent Infinite now and the Hydra, certainly that was what the Horizon data was all about. And then in the category of canaloplasty, the iTrack Advanced device, uh, as well as the Omni, uh, and then goniotomy with something like the Scion. And so these are just, there's so many opportunities for training now and at all of our national conferences that I would invite people, uh, I would invite surgeons to really take a, take advantage. Keep in mind too, for, for both Mina and myself who are fellowship trained in glaucoma, we didn't have these devices when we were, when we were in fellowship. So at some point we had to learn how to do these procedures. And I think the dexterity that's involved is not any harder than what we do with good pagal emulsification. So I think a good anterior segment surgeon is more than capable of picking this up. And, you know, as, as Mina said, the reps have been wonderful in terms of coming out, wet labs, uh, courses are available as, as, as Mina uh, has indicated. And, you know, I think this is just a, 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 a tremendous opportunity to do something in glaucoma that we haven't had for so long. Glaucoma was such a static surgical uh, subspecialty for the longest time. And there are so many patients, I think, that needed more than just drops, but maybe fell into that hole where a trap or a tube might have been too much. 
we know a lot of patients who've gone through very good TRAB surgery and they lost vision just from the surgery itself. And it's, it kind of reminds me of how we treated AMD where we, you know, we lasered healthy parts of the fovea expecting that, you know, in the big picture, people would be better off. But now I think with MIGS, that has completely just changed everything. And I think that's, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity for everyone, anterior segment folks, cataract surgeons, to just jump in and, and get on board. And think of how much earlier we would be, we would, we would intervene too. I mean, you know, we, we think twice before a traveler or two. And with MIGS, it's, you know, one, one point is, you know, delivering at the time, but the fact that we actually, I think, change our paradigm too now, we change our algorithm to feel way more comfortable to offer cataract and glaucoma surgery together way sooner, which is really what we should be doing to, to, to hopefully never even have visual field loss or have very mild visual field loss. So it's just lets us shift that entire paradigm you know, of, of how glaucoma is even approached. And that, that's what's so exciting about it. You know, that's, that's why it's a revolution. I love this. So <laughs> I would say that the surgeons should consider doing MIGS. They need to reach out to, to reps, decide, talk to glaucoma surgeons about which ones to start off with. Do gonioscopy in the office. Remember what that angle really looks like. You guys take it for granted, but you have to kind of relearn that using the second hand to hold the mirror in place. And it's really quite easy to you to do. And the final thing I'll say is in combination, some of these procedures work well together, like a canaloplasty and a hydrus, just for example, because they're working on different pathways. So I, I, I want to thank you both. This has been a really wide ranging and fascinating conversation. I think we can all agree that our field continues to grow and evolve due to ongoing innovation. Uh, I think we can also agree that the real winner in all of this is our patients. Because of and through close partnership with industry, we gain access to tools and technology that we can use in the clinic on a daily basis to improve or preserve vision, fight eye disease, and more generally to help improve the quality of life of our patients. So we've talked about from smart cataract, you know, surgical planning that's very new, new IOL technologies, and treating glaucoma at the same time as cataract surgery, MIGS procedures. Thank you for joining us on this episode of CRST, the podcast. Please look out for this and other episodes in this series. Thank you both for being here. It was a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. For more shows like the one you just listened to, check out the podcast channel on itube.net.